0: Hello and welcome to episode 203 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Thank you for your patience. I had a little break from the podcast after 10 years and I thought, you know, I started a new job, I took up a bunch of time and I said, why don't I take a break? So thank you for your support and as always reach out anytime via the socials or washedupemo.com. Today we welcome Cam Denunzio from Lazy Kane and Denali. Uh, he makes his wares as a composer and musical advisor nowadays, but we spoke about his early days in Virginia Beach, moving to Richmond, and his thoughts on music as he navigated and survived the emo label. Cam's contribution to music, the genre, and further throughout the musical landscape is a reason for you to stick around if you haven't heard of the band or his name. If you have, you are in for a treat. You dive into Lazy King and Denali days, and at the start, as context, I mentioned Cam's bandmate, John. We worked together when I first moved to New York City way back, 100 years back in 2000. With that said, as comforting as when a 718 number calls a 917, listening back felt more like a conversation, not an interview. I hope you enjoy it. Thank you all the Patreon supporters out there. I appreciate it. If you want to support, head on over to patreon.com slash washedupemo. This is episode 203 of Washed Up Emo podcast with Cam Denunzio from Lazy Cane and Denali. John Major to do this for years and um we have a funny history where I you know found out where he we worked together at the same place which you worked as well mm-hmm. and I was like oh my god you were in Lazy Cane like that's crazy and so he would never tell anyone when we would meet someone like work related I just mm-hmm. expected him to be like, "My, I'm John Major. I work at Cornerstone. And by the way, I was in Lasercade." And he never did that. And I was like, "John, you're leaving out the best part." And he's like, "Shut up."
1: <laughs> it's part. Of, it is part of common courtesy to name your, to give your name, your place of employment, and any former bands that you played with. Yes, it's just. It's like meeting the Queen. It's like part of the ritual. Exactly. So he.
0: That was always the running joke. I was like, uh, you didn't mention your influential band, <laughs> and he's like, shut up. <laughs> so, so I am happy that you're there, and I think there's a lot of fun parallels, you know, looking back at your history and and the bands. And I think there's a lot of stuff to go through from like the New York City scene, the late '90s scene. So um, I'm stoked that um, you've always been, you know, this band and the stuff that you've worked on have always been someone that I've been thinking about. So I'm I'm stoked that you're you're able to do this
1: thank you very much i i was i was like i said when we sort of talked on the phone earlier i was like are you sure you want to talk to me i was you know like i was part of some cool things but there are definitely people who are probably much more directly responsible for their creation of those cool things so i mean especially when it comes to denali but um but yeah i i appreciate the chance to to talk to you about it it's not you know i in preparation for it like i go on these long bike rides and i just i was just sitting there like for miles on the road staring at the the white line on the right side of the road just like what 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 even happened? Like I, I can't I have a goldfish memory at this point in my life. It's just like I or either that or like my RAM is maxed out, and so it it took a while to even just sort of cast my mind back to what what it was even like back then. So yeah, and also I'm forty seven, so it just I think it just comes with age. <laughs> What's crazy? Anyway.
0: You mentioned the age forty seven. I watch um, YouTube videos of old comedians, and sometimes they're on the Johnny Carson show, and I'm not if I, Johnny Carson's fine. Um, but uh, he, I was watching a clip with him and Don Rickles, and they ac- they actually, this is yesterday, they talked about their age. And so, right before they do it, I'm like, man, they're probably in like their 50s or 60s. Mm-hmm. And they both went, yeah, we just celebrated our 47th birthday. <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> and it was like it was like a 1972. Like Burt Reynolds was on the couch. Like it yeah, was he was yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. But I was like, no, that is is that what 47 looks like? Man. So I was I, I was I was disappointed, but also happy that I still feel young. But watching that, I was like, uh oh.
1: <laughs> and now I feel like an underachiever. I feel like I should you know there's so much more I should have done with my life at this point. <laughs> and he had already been on
0: for eleven years. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: Which was crazy. So, oh yeah, way behind the ball at this yeah, point. Yeah, we Nick. are.
0: So, welcome to the podcast. We are we are behind the ball on the watch <laughs> Eagle <Defingo> podcast. We've <laughs> we we are completely pointed. But the other piece that um, I wanted to start was was Richmond, and you know where uh, a lot of this you know music came from, where you are now.
1: So I I, I grew up in Virginia Beach, um, which is sort of a sprawling suburban mm-hmm. r- resort town on the coast. Um, which has a huge population but no real city center at least it didn't when I lived there and I think they've tried to make it happen a couple times but there's just no there's just a lot of little like neighborhood uh, kind of spots and so the the way that Richmond sort of took shape for me was that it just felt like everybody was kind of on the same page in a way and I I came here for school so it instantly like there was this instant community and so you know, the only thing that had sort of felt even remotely close to that when I was in Virginia Beach was uh, the magnet school that I went to at, in, in high school, um, which is actually where I met John Major from Lazy Cane. Um, and, uh, Actually, we met at a one-act play, but we didn't. He didn't know that. I, I think I saw him from across the room, and then I recognized him at Magnet School. But, um, but that was like a sort of a community of artists and things like that. And it, and there was like a, I don't know. There were there were sort of, just I don't know. It was the only sort of like collective of like-minded people. Um whereas the the city as a whole just felt like everybody was off doing their own thing. Um I don't think I realized that Richmond had a scene um right off the bat because I wasn't I, I just wasn't looking for it. Um and I I just kinda I started going to shows I didn't start going to shows period until college, like until I went there went to VCU um because there were there were concerts in virginia beach like at some of the clubs and there there was a hardcore scene in virginia beach at that point but it wasn't something that was really on my radar i was sort of listening to like either gothy progressive what was called progressive music back then which was like like cure and smiths and and all that kind of stuff um uh or I was just like hanging out with my girlfriend or I was in the band or I was in, you know, I was at band practice. But um, so the first I-, I think I was in the dorms in 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 Richmond at VCU. And there was a, a flyer for a show at this club called the Metro down the street down the street. And it was um, it was Shutter to Think and this band called First Five Through and another band uh, called Damn New Red. And I didn't know who Shutter to Think was. I didn't know anything about. It. I knew who Fugazi was from high school, but the like the same kids who listened to Fugazi also listened to the Grateful Dead. So I wasn't aware that there was like a scene around it. I thought it was just like this is a cool band. This is another popular band. Blah blah blah. And people just sort of stitched together their record collection out of you know dis- disparate kind of influences. Um, but. You know, going to that show, I was totally confused by Shutter to Think. Um, I was like, this is really cool, but I don't know. I don't like I don't I don't I don't know the backstory. And for me, that was like I I looked it was exciting to sort of look into it. Be like, oh, they're on Discord. And then, oh, these other bands have also sort of like have a similar pedigree. Um, But uh, it was it was going to that show and then other shows after that. I think the next show I saw was Girls Against Boys. A lot of the D.C. bands would sort of. Come down to Richmond on their way to Chapel Hill or whatever, um, and at the time I didn't know I was seeing these cool bands, but I was definitely impressed. They they made an impression, um, and I was already into music in a in a big way, and so I sort of you know, would go to the record store. We had a fantastic record store, still have a fantastic record store called Plan Nine, um, and so I would go there and then you just talk to people and kind of learn about it. Um, but then from going to that going to those shows you sort of see the same people and then you see them out in the community which wasn't a thing that happened in Virginia Beach it was just like you know, and then you have the backdrop of the city, at, you know, in a larger space. And then you learn that it's kind of like D.C.'s little brother in the in the music sense. Um, and then I, I think I ended up at an avail show or a four walls show, a four walls falling show. Um, and that and and then you saw like Richmond bands who had a huge following. And then that was sort of when I got a sense for like the the air quote scene uh, of Richmond. Um, and um and yeah, and, and sort of like the parts that we borrowed from D.C. or the parts that we borrowed from Chapel Hill or like the sort of the merge scene. Um, and you started to see bits of those. Not that there weren't like really amazing. Like guar is definitely its own thing, but I didn't meet those totally. guys until w- way later. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it sort of it sort of revealed itself very slowly um, <laughs> to, to me. But, um, I, and I was really, sorry, sorry. That's the end of that question. No, you're (laughs) fine. You're fine. That's
0: the answer to that question. Dude, do not apologize. I'm not going to, I'm not going to interrupt you. You're going to be able to talk as long as you want, please. That is, I, other podcasts like to be about other people. I just want to have you talk. So Uh, (laughs) what was the, was grip the first band for you? In Richmond, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I was in cover bands in Virginia Beach, uh, and we would write a couple of, of original songs, but the... The issue with, with VB at the time, unless you're in the hardcore scene, um, was that the only way to get shows at any of the bars there or any of the venues was to play songs that people knew. And so we did covers. We did like R.E.M. and Ocean Blue and The Church and stuff like that. We did we did cool covers, but it was still cover bands. Um, so the first like all-original band that I was in was Grip. Um, and yeah, that came about from just me playing guitar in... My room and uh, this uh, this kid named Aaron Edge, who I'm still friends with, um, came into my dorm. This in in the dorms, um, and he was like, "Hey man, cool cool song, like cool guitar. Can we borrow your amp?" And I was like, <laughs> I'm sorry, who are you again? And um and he was like, My 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 band is having practice and our guitar player is having problems with his amp. And it's just like and I was like, uh, yeah, uh can I can I come with you? Like it's just weird to sort of hand my amp off to somebody I don't know. Um uh, and he's like, Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. So it was it was grip uh having practice at this at this house in the in the fam, which is a neighborhood next to VCU. Um and and I went and I had never seen like I'd never really seen a hardcore show or seen a hardcore band play at that point, but it it smacked of the metal bands that I was into growing up, um, and I was like, oh, this is cool, and the guys in the band seemed really cool, and uh, all of them I'm still friends with to this day, and uh, and at, at the end of the practice, I was just like, I was noodling around on the guitar again and um and i was i was playing something i think one of them thought was maybe kind of cool they're like do do you do you want to like play with us sometime i was like sure sure and so yeah uh, that that's kind of how it it ended up happening i just went to they gave me a tape of their last live it was like a soundboard tape of their last show to learn the songs and, and that's how i ended up in the band
0: I mean it, it there's really either you play in the shitty punk band or you do the cover bands and you learn <laughs> you learn while you're yeah. doing it, how to play yeah. the amp and stuff, so then having that yeah, opportunity yeah. like grip, you weren't like, this wasn't my first rodeo. this was uh obviously not in that situation, but for having someone to be able to hear that um is awesome. and then so this was during college, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was like the first three months of my freshman year um, when I was there, and it was sort of it was sort of weird too. Like I, I got there and I'd had kind of longish hair, or not longish hair. I, I had I had normal length hair, uh, and I decided, like in a in a freak rebellious, and I don't even know that I had anything to rebel against, but I was just like, I'm gonna shave my head, and so I I ended up at this you know, at, hanging out with these guys looking like I'd just come from like a shelter show, um, or hanging out with like, and, and Aaron was Krishna at the time. And so it was kind of this, like, and, and I had, I'd been in like, um, like young life in high school,
0: mm-hmm. and like
1: a vaguely religious bent. Um, and then I was doing a little bit of intervarsity when I got to, to, to VCU. Cause I just my friends in high school, I I had trouble making like quality friends. And my my girlfriend at the time was part of a Christian family and they were like super welcoming and warm. And I was like, oh, maybe this is this is how you meet nice people. Um, And so, uh, you know, I was still sort of in that scene a little bit when I got there. And so it may have been a little bit of kind of like. Pepe Le Pew, like just like like the the, the black cat with the white stripe yep. that accidentally got painted down. Like I was like I happen to have a bald head. I happen to be, you know, essentially like textbook straight edge, um, because I wasn't drinking or doing anything. Um, even though I didn't really know what the mer- the word meant at that point. So I, I just sort of fit fit in uh, accidentally with with these folks. Um, but not everybody in grip was straight, and so and and it wasn't like a huge a huge thing for them but uh yeah and and the other guitar player for grip was john field who was in a, a like this this new york hardcore band called upfront that was really big uh like in the early 90s late 80s scene and so he kind of showed us the ropes and helped us kind of learn how to be a, a proper band
0: that's amazing um, that was one thing about being in the south uh, uh, meeting some folks in those christian things i had no idea like I just, it, it would just, it, you know, watching TV late at night, the public access, there was a guy that would just be like, you know, send in your bills and God will pay them. <laughs> right, and right,
1: right, right, yeah. I was like, this is on
0: TV and people are doing it. Like these people are going to lose their power or their gas, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, exactly. holy shit. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then meeting kids when I brought my records to the radio station and stuff and they would be like, oh yeah, my parents won't let me have that. I'm like, What? So that Whoa. was weird And then there was a lot of those groups That would say You know Come on a bus trip There's free pizza um, And we were like Nah I'm good right. um, Yeah yeah Very interesting like Because there was a whole Christian Hardcore scene Christian metal scene uh, Kind mm-hmm. of like intermixed mm-hmm. And it's almost like You had to do like detective work um, yeah. <laughs> Even though everybody was great You just had to kind of Know that going in <laughs> Yeah 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 And
1: I mean the 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 families Of the It was actually two two girlfriends I had in high school were one was sort of a a missionary family and the other Mm -hmm. was, um, I think he was a a dentist, but it it, it never felt like predatory even looking back on it with a clearer head, you know? Um, but it it definitely in terms of sort of assimilation, I felt like the, the hardcore scene at the time was much strong, like had a much stronger hold, on the on the on the newcomers who came in, and was like these are the rules. This is how it happens, and like you don't dress like this. You dress like this, um, and uh, and my parents were never like they they didn't really. They were happy that I was just not like doing anything, you know, getting arrested. So right. they, they didn't really care either way. Um, they were sort of, uh, as far, as far as I know, sort of agnostic. I mean, my they sent me and my my brother and I to church when we were kids, but they themselves didn't go except for like holidays. I think they just wanted us to be good people, and the, there were also some neighbors who like would take us, and so we just we just did that. But. Um,
0: I just think they was wanted an hour
1: alone. That's pretty much what exactly. it was. Exactly. <laughs> I think that's I think you've hit I've hit I think you've hit it perfectly. That's that's exactly it. It's just like get these kids out of here please. We want to clean the um,
0: basement. We haven't been able right, to Sunday right. morning it is
1: yeah <laughs> yeah 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 well and and I grew up on like a like a horse farm kind of thing with a, just like endless grass to cut and chores to do, and so I think they were just you know that might have just helped them get like a little bit further ahead of whatever <laughs> it was they were trying to do um but yeah yeah it was um it was cool, but yeah i I, I mean it did it, it it was it was very clear early on that Richmond had like a strong sense of community. I didn't know what it meant to the outside world at that point in, in, in freshman year of college. So then,
0: so with grip, you were playing shows. Was it like weekend stuff? Like what else was kind of happening around that time? That, um, was it like, man, I really like this. Like, this is fun doing my (laughs) own stuff or you're meeting a bunch of people like that. that must've been, you know, obviously, you know, probably, um, excitement or other thoughts or God, I want to do something else. What was thinking then? Um, no,
1: it was um, we were yeah it was we were pretty much weekend warriors. Um, in town shows during the week, but most of us were in school, and so we had to be around for class. I, you know, nobody was really like "fuck this," I'm just doing the band kind of thing. We were all still pretty like adherent to our you know responsibilities, or at least conscious of the 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 commitment we had made to higher learning, um, so yeah, we were around for the most part, but we would do you know, DC shows on the weekend and sometimes Jersey or New York shows. Uh, you know, it's, uh, that that became pretty frequent, um, and yeah, it was it was super cool. I mean, I you know, the the very first time I played guitar with a group of people was like, I was like 14 years old, and and we were playing uh, (laughs) Iron Maiden songs and U2 songs. It was just like, those were the things that we that that, like the two groups of people in the room liked. And, but, you know, even playing other people's music in synchronicity was just this magical thing that sort of flipped the switch for me. Um, But then to answer your question, playing with you know a group of and playing all our own stuff as opposed to you know a a night full of covers and then like oh we wrote this next one ourselves like which is you know just sort of like trying to squeeze something in hoping everybody doesn't leave um during those like three and a half minutes um was really cool it's like holy shit people are coming out to see us like for our songs um and regardless of what you 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 think of hardcore or, or any genre of music i think there's just like a it's just a, a rush to to be, you know, uh, to have people want to pay money or just to want to come like drop whatever else they're doing and come and see your band play or see <laughs> be you know tolerate you while they wait for the band that they actually want to see play. <laughs> totally. Um, but it was cool. But yeah, it was mostly Weekend Warrior stuff. Um, they didn't go on tour until after I left the band, and that was. Um, that was I actually I, I have a document because I'm sort of OCD about this stuff. Um, like I was in the band from uh, like November of 92 until or I was playing shows with them November 92 until f- about a year later. Um, and I didn't I left the band only because I wanted to do... I Like, hardcore was cool, but I had... I was listening to a lot of other stuff besides... I, I was one of those kids who didn't really listen to hardcore. I just liked playing the songs. Um, and uh, there was other stuff that I wanted to, to try and do. And, and I think I sort of uh, naively thought like, Oh, well I was in this band. Cause you know, on flyers, obviously you always see like X members of blah, 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 blah. And mm-hmm. you know, I was like, well, they'll see X grip or whatever. And and they'll come see us play. And it was like, Nope, no translation whatsoever. I think, you know, a couple of people, me- people may have given us a chance, but I was just the guitar player in a band of five people. And Ken, our singer was the outsized personality of the band. So they might have been like, "Oh, that's that's nice, but not enough to give up whatever they were doing to, to come and see us play." Um, so it was kind of a long slog. Uh, Lazy Kane um, formed with just myself and and two friends from the beach, and uh, we we played um, in you know just a couple shows, and not too many people came. And but I, I think we believed in it enough to try and keep going. Um, but yeah, so that that was grip was great Uh, and all those, all those people are fantastic. I still, I see Ken and rich around and Aaron is actually, I think he's, he was in the Pacific Northwest. It looks like he's moving to London um, now, but yeah. So, uh, and John, it lives in the same neighborhood as me. So um, it's, it's all good. Um, Richmond still has a sort
0: of a, a a pull to to people to a certain degree. I love that. So, Lazy Kane, um, I joked earlier that you know I think they should be mentioned more. Um, <laughs> you guys did a lot of stuff, and it was an interesting time that I want to get into. But yeah, meeting meeting Dan, meeting John, and starting to play um, what what was what was happening in your ears, what was happening when you were together um, that that felt right.
1: Um, I, I, I've always sort of been a product of my surroundings, uh, musically for sure. And I think I was, I was hearing so many new things, um, in, you know, in and around Richmond, just from the people who lived in the dorms with me in the freshman year. And then, um, the friends I made from there and their record collections. Um, and I, I mean, it was everything from like the the Fugazi and the discord thing to bad brains to, uh, like, I I don't even know. I'd like Enigma, (laughs) you know, there was like, (laughs) I listened to everything. Um, and so, uh, I think I thought there was something obviously like starting a band for most people is, is an act of like, of artistic expression. Um, and I don't know that I, th- I think there was part of that for me, but there was also part of like, I want I want to show people what I can do um, now that I was playing original music. Um, and so I think it was just an amalgamation of all these new influences that were coming in um, and uh Dan and John and I, um, we sort of, I, th- I started, like I said, I started the band with a couple of other people and then, um, Dan lived across the street from me once I'd moved out of the dorms and into the neighborhoods, Dan lived across the street f- from me and I could hear him playing drums in his apartment. I was like, Oh my God, that guy's awesome. And, um, and I asked him and our, our other drummer lived in Virginia beach and it was tricky to set up, um, practices and stuff like that. Um, and then John, I asked, um, to be in the band at one point, he was in a band called Behavior Control, um, that was that was really good. And I asked him to be in the band at one point. I don't think he remembers this because I feel like I've brought it up with him before, and he said no because he was still busy with Behavior Control or he just wasn't into it. And then either he g- came back and and said something later, or I went back to him again. I and I can't remember, um, and said like, hey, are you are you sure it'd be really <laughs> it'd be really cool to have. Uh, you know uh, not just a second guitar player but but him specifically as as a as another guitar player in the band um because our styles are very different and i i thought they complemented each other um and uh but i think we were just sort of fusing all of our influences at that point um and that's that's just kind of how it it started out it was um yeah, I don't. I, there was no master plan. <laughs> um, I didn't have like a, a, a pile of songs. It was just um, I, the way that I write songs, or the way that I wrote songs. I guess I still do. Um, was sort of, sort of in textures and pieces and things like that, and um, and they all sort of borrowed sometimes very heavily from the you know what I'd listened to recently or what I'd been listening to, and I think we just all were kind of listening to the same. Stuff to a certain degree with you know within the sort of indie music scene. Um,
0: Had but, you heard uh, the word we, emo yet?
1: No, no. I, it's funny because I, I, in preparation for this interview, I thank thought, you, there's thank c- you for preparing. There, <laughs> um, I was like, there's going to come a point where Tom's going to say, "When did you hear the word emo?" And I was trying to place it, um, and I don't remember. Um, I do remember hearing. You know, if if we're going by like the 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 touchstone, the traditional touchstones, uh, or the flagship bands. Like I remember hearing Sunday Day for the first time on like the late night Sunday indie hour of my local radio station in Virginia Beach when I was home for the summer, um, and I was like, oh my god, I did, you know, this is great. I love this song, um, and then went out and bought it. Um, I didn't know that that was you know, I had no connection to Rights of Spring at the time. Um, I sort of. Went from 92 forward. I didn't really go back and do homework much on what had come before um, until way later. So I wasn't conscious of first wave, um, and so I was just like, "Sunday Days, cool." And to me, all of that stuff sounded like uh, either, I guess we called it melodic hardcore or post rock or post hardcore, mm-hmm. you know, kind of thing. Um, and I was listening to Will's uh, Williams interview with you. Not that I know him well enough to go by a first name. Um, but it was like William Goldsmith's interview and, and like he was talking about how they were, he felt like they were a hardcore band that was just trying to, uh, like flesh out ideas that they had. And that's just what they sounded like doing that. And mm-hmm. I thought that was really genuine, really cool. Um, but yeah, I don't remember when I heard it and I never, I never really thought of lazy Kane as, as an emo band. I know we ended up on the the compilation, that emo diaries compilation. <laughs> you were on the first um, one. <laughs> I know. It's really weird. I don't know how that happened. Um, you don't know how that happened? Well, no, I mean, I, I remember, I, I remember being asked obviously, but I just don't, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, we played with a lot of bands that were like, we, we had played with mineral at one point and we played with, we may have played with Jimmy Eat World at that point. Um, it's 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 weird because, yeah, I, I don't I, I mean I again you know in preparation for this I went back and listened to a lot of the Lazy Kane stuff and I don't think of us as an Ebo band I definitely think of us as like a post hardcore band well, or a, like a post rock band so yeah. yeah
0: because that's it's like so that's the funny part about this time period which if you're ready to like sort of dive in a little bit I think people are used to this like that era was like it's not like you're. Band came out. You're, you're playing shows, and then you've got Instagram and Twitter to scroll, and you know stuff to check. Like it kind of these these pockets of things would happen, and um, you'd play with a band somewhere, and then that would sort of permeate wherever you went. Or mm-hmm. these things would happen, and I feel like you know that emo diaries thing. Like again, I'm from your school of like I just thought it was another thing of hardcore. Like it was just it <laughs> yeah, was like yeah. a, it was a hardcore yeah. band that like just played a little bit differently and i liked both i was cool with you know the hardcore bands and i liked this too i'm happy mm-hmm. if they were at the same show and i think right right yeah exactly but that you know hearing listening back to stupid maybe still on the first chapter of the emo diaries which um you know it feels angular it's heavy but it's like a hardcore band i mean it's it's almost yeah. helmet yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah
1: well they were they were a big Uh, influence on me and I think just rhythmically they were an influence on the band to a certain degree. Actually I don't know that Uh, I don't know if it was just like the the stuff that I was writing that they then translated for their parts but I definitely I loved the sort of rolling rhythms that you know things that sort of fell over the next bar and, and, and the spaces and everything like that um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was probably me trying to write a helmet riff.
0: <laughs> well, that is my second favorite band of all time, so I approve that. Uh, <laughs> right on. <laughs> um, but that. So were labels reaching out? Like, when did? When did? You know, uh, was it from the emo <clears throat> diaries? Did people reach out? Like, when did? Because again, this is an instant. I want people to remember that. Like, right, l- right, like right, right. Literally, you don't get a DM. Like a. Okay, this is not instant. How did? No. What? How did this evolve to kind of like? I mean, it, there, there's other references we'll tell later, but how did those start right. to sort of permeate? I, I mean, that it was we were
1: literally the band that opened for all the cool bands that came through town, and so awesome. I think that's I think that's how word got around. And it wasn't because we had a huge draw. I think we had enough of a draw that we wouldn't ask for the moon in terms of a guarantee, and so every time like shades apart or sense field or, you know, one of those bands would come through. Um, we didn't always get asked, but we got asked a lot. And, and I think that, you know, the more that that happens, the more, uh, you know, people talked to their friends or the, the, the people who ran the labels that they were on. Um, but yeah, it was a fucking slog. Like we were around for six years and I think You know, we never were able to live off of that band. We uh, we we didn't sell a lot of records. Um, We didn't get hooked up with you know hooked into the like the big wheel doghouse circuit until the very end. Um, And by that point, I think we were pretty fried. And I think John and Webb and Dan really wanted to do uh, John's J Rawls project. Um, And so it was just like. You know, it wasn't. You know, the like we the tour we did with Pieball was at the was at the very end, and that was Rama from Big Wheel being like, "Hey, you should take these guys out." And I think we were good enough where people thought like, "Okay, cool. This, this is not going to be embarrassing." Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just it was a lot, a lot, a lot of empty opening slots and. You know, I've. Heard, it's funny. I've heard other people talk about. Uh, like, I, I listened to the Thomas Barnett um, uh, interview just because he's such a fantastic dude. Um, and uh, he was talking about the list uh, that used to go around, and we had we had the list too. And and it, I rem- would remember like Dan and I with a dialer. I don't know if you remember these. Dialers. Yes. It, that is the <laughs> most, that is probably the third most
0: referenced thing from this era. Is it? <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. Like, and oh, I learned oh it from God. Braid. Oh, I learned right, it right, from, exactly, you know, yeah. Eric Richter from Christie Front Drive. Everyone's got right. someone
1: they learned it from or learned yeah, it yeah, from yeah, yeah. whatever the english yep, grammar. exactly. Is. Yeah. I don't want to rat anybody out, but yes, we we got one <laughs> as well and we would sit I remember specifically like in the back stairwell of one of the buildings at VCU where there was a payphone and we had a Dan had a, a legal pad and I had a, a like a three-ring binder with like the the book your own fucking life con numbers and this other just like dot matrix printout of just numbers with no names on them with just cities next to them and you know yeah and yeah we would we would just like you do the dialer you call people and every once in a while the operator comes on and yells at you for not using real money And, and but you just you know you keep going um but that's that was that was it i mean i the the way that we got around or got anywhere was just by like just saying yes to every show that we got asked to play and eventually the band's started to take us out um with them so yeah
0: that's so cool i so i saw you then toward the tail i saw you when you guys were fucking over it so i saw the (laughs) world at the drive-in tour oh well that that was actually right before
1: i i don't know that we were necessarily over it at that point um it was (laughs) but i think it was after all of that when we still weren't really selling records and we can talk about that later um you know that we were just like god seriously like you know what is the deal why why are we not connecting um so, but yeah, that was, that was, I don't know how we ended up on that show. Um, but I think but you yeah, guys that, that, played like two or three.
0: I, if I'm looking yeah, at we, the setlist.fm or I was looking, I feel like you guys hit like two or three of those, but the routing was nuts.
1: Yeah, it was, it was weird. We actually, that we only did that one show with the two of them. Oh. I, I, I think the other one, I can actually look back at my nerdy little document here. Um, Please but, do. Um, yeah but um but yeah I have to it it may take a second but um but yeah it was that was one of those things where I think we had played somewhere in North Carolina and someone had seen us and who who was a promoter and then the next or we had played that venue and made enough of an impression on that you know whoever the the promoter was that the next you know the the band came through or or we got a hook up through somebody else It, it was it was all word of mouth I mean that's it's it was always word of mouth like <laughs> the only you know we we got to play certain shows because a friend spoke up for us or you know somebody vouched for us like I, and i think a lot of bands early days like had that connection but that was essentially our most of our career up until like and, until we sort of linked into the to Rama's whole network of people um but yeah it was it was it was hard I, I, and i was going to say i mean i think the yeah. Anyway, that was that was that was what I was gonna say.
0: <laughs> what about like the, I I've looked at some um, No Knife footage um, that I got from one of their tours, and you guys played a bunch of shows as well on that. Mm-hmm. And there's some hilarious moments um, <laughs> from the guys. And and it, it, what about that time period and being in those years? And it could have been toward the tail end. You guys have been doing it for a minute, but what was the like? Did it feel like it felt like there was a camaraderie of, wow, like those guys did this or, hey, that's really cool. And again, the slowness of it, like it's not this instant DM, you know, you emailing me or DMing me and saying this happened like it was almost like there was this pause, but it still felt like a big deal. What was that? As you're still in it, you're still being on the road, you're (laughs) getting those favors done like did it feel like wow something's happening? Like our friends are getting this, or we're getting that? It it was again. It, <clears throat> the momentum shifted later, but in that moment, it seemed like there was this camaraderie.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there there was. I mean that that tour specifically. Like a lot of the, a lot of times, like we did we did that those three weeks um, with Jimmy Eat World and and No Knife, and that I think came out of us opening for Jimmy Eat World. Previously, whether it was that show with at the drive-in or somewhere else, uh, or the 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 show, you know, a couple days later in Richmond, mm-hmm. um, that that was very much that very much felt like the prime of of Lisa Kane, um, and and yeah, and I think just the the whatever the vibe of the No Knife guys and the Jimmy Eat World guys and us, it just it just worked uh it i i tell everybody like it felt like christmas every day it was it was like that was our first proper tour we had we'd gone out on our own before but that was our first proper like opening tour and i think our first show was in the uh like florida maybe and and we walk it was in jacksonville um and <laughs> jacksonville which i could kind of take or leave no shade um but um we we walked in and like you know the the band like jimmy world was warming up and the no knife guys were loading in we were meeting everybody and there was a line of kids outside waiting to get in we're like oh my god this is what it's like this is what this is what real like like and 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 that and like as the tour went on like we got more comfortable with each other obviously um there were you know friends bands that were also sort of you know we didn't have um you know i'm trying to think of like again my goldfish memory is is failing me here of who else like was sort of coming up around that time in richmond i mean uh uh, strike anywhere may have already started at that point obviously they were like building on a hella strong foundation from inquisition um guar was always going avail was always going i don't know if avail had broken up at that point actually um but uh you know and and i wouldn't put us in the same league as those bands in terms of success but um it, it it did i mean it felt like it felt like a good time um we we like i said we got along with everybody and it just just sort of instantly fell in and we ended up doing a lot of shows with no knife after that um in in either lazy Kane and denali played a couple shows with them um but uh yeah it 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 felt like things were about to happen, for sure. Whatever whatever happened means, um, uh, it was cool. It was definitely cool.
0: Can we talk about some songs? Because I want to mention um, one. <laughs> sure. No, no, sorry. I didn't mean like you need to stop talking. I was more of just like God. I always forget <laughs> to do this, but like the angularness of it, that was something that like really connected to me early on. Like I had to sort of like sit in it for a minute. And kind of like no yeah. knife, kind of like where like the first time you listen through, you're like, okay. And then that second time it wasn't like hit you over the head on that first time. Oh my God. And that's not, that's no slight. I actually want that. That's what mm-hmm, I didn't like mm-hmm. about hardcore. Hardcore was like, mm-hmm. don't tell me here comes the breakdown, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, you yeah, could yeah, literally yeah. just, you know, paint by numbers and I, right, sometimes right. you need that. Sometimes your brain just get, just give it to me straight. Yeah, yeah but talk about a song um specifically the one I liked um or worth referencing is the subway song mm,
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um so it's it's funny because I think we were we lazy came is a very democratic band um in that it may have been John or I that brought uh like a riff in to start things but Dan and Webb both had very strong opinions not not in a bad way but they were they were definitely it was very much a collaborative thing um and i think a lot of the reason that we went unexpected places was just because we had you know an idea that 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 somebody else had uh, you know you know one person would start the song and the other person's idea didn't necessarily like you know we would go from minor minor sections to major sections and like five four sections to four four sections or whatever um and I think it was just it was the mashup of those ideas but then it was also I think us trying to be different maybe sometime just for different sake but then other times for for you know what maybe what the what we felt like the song called for um but we were all sort of like uh, you know went to music school and uh, you know or studied music at some point and i think we enjoyed kind of trying to bring a little bit of that <clears throat> knowledge uh or or skill into the into the practice space um and i i think you know listening back to um, listening back on it now like some of it comes across as like coulda more than shoulda in a way you know like i, I mm-hmm. i'm i'm I listen back and I'm like, really? We we did that after that other section, um, but uh, with Subway Song, um, I'm trying to remember the genesis of that track. I, I I'm pretty sure that I wrote the the, the initial it. riff. Do you no, want no, to I remember. I remember oh, the okay. song. I do. I do remember the song. Um, and and that's really only just because I went back and listened to the stuff over the last month because <laughs> I'd really like I said Goldfish, um, and I just hadn't listened to a lot of that in a long time.
0: play it now with game pass
1: you know it was a it was um, it was a riff that I had and a pattern that that Dan came up with and then uh, a, you know a, uh, you know Webb's part and John finding something really cool and kind of out to play. Um, over top of it, which was, was something he was really good at, um, just and, and stuff that I never would have thought of. And I think a lot of times at first blush was like, oh, "That's that's too weird." And then you know, but I, I had no like vo- had no role to like overrule him. And he, he might he, re- he might remember these processes different. Um, he might have said that like, "No, you told me I couldn't play that." Um, but uh, I was I I it, it was it was that kind of building thing. It was usually a, a riff, a pattern a baseline and then John laying something really cool over top of it. Um, but that song, I remember specifically the lyrics were written in New York. Uh, I remember being at a coffee shop or a restaurant with uh, my girlfriend at the time. And um, while we were visiting, I wasn't living there. Um, and so the, like literally, you know, it was one of those places in, like near Soho or the East village where the floor rumbles every time the train goes by underneath. And so it, it literally was, it it was very CSA in that way. Um, but you know, we, we, we definitely liked space between notes. Um, I I think that's, you know, maybe there's a little bit of helmet influence in there for, for that. Um, but, uh, and, and I think that's just, that's where that song sort of, sort of came from. I do, I do like that song a lot, like uh, uh, of the ones that I listen back and I think like, oh, I would have changed this, would have changed that. I think that's a song that I I really had few notes for.
0: <laughs> Any other songs that when you were listening back stuck out to you that you were like, oh man, I forgot about that. Or that, that was really cool. <laughs> or that about? I forgot about all of them. <laughs> um
1: the course correction that I have in my head now for a lot of these songs would just have been to like, like musically I, I think a lot of them are super cool. And I think we did a lot of like, we were very inventive with, with rhythms and with um, chord structure. Um, I think lyrically, like I, I'm going to be my own toughest critic here, but I just wish that I had tried to connect with people more or, or just be less obtuse um, because you know when I when I talk about how like even after doing these cool tours like stints with this band that band the other band, um, we still weren't really seeing any difference in terms of like record sales or you know being like that going then going out on our own and having sellout shows. Um, I think we just we, like the the. The music was there, and the music had a cool thing going on. And I think, especially after the, the EP came out, I think the next album that we would have made would have been really cool. I think it would have benefited for us to work with a producer. It is just sort of self-edit a little bit. Um, but the lyrics were just so... It was just like a snapshot of this, a snippet of that, snapshot of this, snippet of that. And they didn't form a cohesive picture they may have from sort of like a like a pointillistic kind of view <laughs> it's like cool thing here cool thing here cool thing here cool thing here but it didn't it didn't really connect in the way and and you know if we're putting in this in the context of emo or emotional music like there were no I didn't think there were that many sockets for people to plug into and think like, oh, I relate to this or this is a this is a a feeling that I had or this is a situation that I went through. And I think that lack of of communicate, of connection with people, with listeners is kind of what kept people at arm's length, um, we we were a critic's fave, and we were often an, a band's fave for the technical side. And when we were like tour tight, it was it was. I, I think people it, like we, we felt like we played really well, and people were impressed by that. Um, but lyrically, like from an emotional connection, we just didn't have that. So um, that that there was no glue there. And so I think when I listen back to answer your question that's the thing that I would think like that, that I think like, Oh man, you really missed an opportunity to <laughs> just to open up, um, and maybe find, find some connective tissue to, to the people listening.
0: I love that last question around lazy cane. And we'll, I want to move on because a bunch of stuff that I think is fun. Cause we have a same New York overlap and, <laughs> um, this time period and, you know, having it have, have people mentioned lazy Kane. have, have you had other, um, back and forth with people that have referenced it again um the reason i'm asking that is that sometimes these things bubble up later in years or people find it and especially with streaming and youtube and mm-hmm. all these other places to find stuff people do end up stumbling upon it have you had moments like that where in the last um you know years since around it um you can I, say no. not
1: really not really <laughs> um I, it's funny because i was uh, i looked i was Looking for lazy cane on Spotify to see if it ever got uploaded, and the only thing up there is the e p which is not a bad representation but um but the album's not up there, and there are definitely parts of the album that i that I like more um and, and I think it, if if nothing else it's cohesive around the idea of an angry 20 something year old just yelling about stuff um but uh no I, I you know there were there are occasionally I'll bump into folks in town and be like oh yeah hey you know I, I used to go to your shows or whatever um but not not so much people aren't really you know, I think the 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 most frequent communication I have is, one, is from one of our early bass players who, who wants to uh, share our early demo tapes with his son, which I'm being uh, like I've been really remiss in going through my cavernous storage space and finding those tapes for him. Um, but yeah, it's it's not really a, it's not really a thing at this point, unfortunately. <laughs> that's fine. Well, welcome
0: to the podcast. That's a pretty normal. Um, it's usually yeah. just me, so that's fine. <laughs> I um, appreciate that. You appreciate it. <laughs> so I would, I do think, um, and it's the one that's not up is the big wheel. So, um, uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Cause I
0: think the doghouse one is up. So, um, we'll, we'll, we'll have to harass Rama. Um, yeah, and then yeah, yeah. I, I will harass you <laughs> offline about the demos, um, to get those up. So we, I'll, I will work <laughs> right. on that for everybody. Um, cool. and then what? after this was done, you graduated school. Um, you moved out to New York, right? Mm-hmm. And that uh, was 99. Well, 99- no. So- no.
1: No, no. Um I was still in Richmond. Um so after Lazy King broke up, I was in another band for a sh- a short period of time for about a year and then um and then Denali started. And so d- all of Denali took place before I moved to New York, oh,
0: uh, which was in right.
1: 2005. Yep.
0: <clears throat> I for some reason had thought we overlapped at Cornerstone. I
1: don't know. I was never at I was never in the office at Cornerstone. I was always remote. Um, oh, that that's was,
0: probably why. Because <laughs> You may have been there. I yeah. was probably there because I remember my boss at the time, John Staub, was like, um, oh, this is, you know, he always mentioned Cam. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I knew it was you. And, but you're right. You were never in the office. There we go. See, yeah, there, yeah. There's, there's my goldfish. There you go. There you oh, go. I yeah. had no fucking idea. Um, <laughs> but that was my first job in, the, in, in New York City. Same, same. My, that was my first New York
1: job, not in New York City. <laughs> I think we got I think
0: if we got paid the what same years, what, you got what better paid. What years were you there? Uh September well actually July or June two thousand for a few okay. months. And then I went back okay. in oh three. But I was sort of I still stayed in touch with everybody that worked there. So I, I would always be at the parties. I would always be at mm-hmm. the Fader forts or whatever things would happen. So mm-hmm. um so yeah, I, I kind of stayed in touch with most people that were there. So yeah, I, I had two stints there. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. No, um, John was
1: super. Well, he he was our he was Lazy Kane's unofficial manager, or I, I should say, official manager. He was the only one who showed any interest in managing us. So um, he is he is as much of a manager as anyone could have been. Um, but mostly, I mean, because we weren't really, uh, you know, fielding tons of requests. We did. We we would get the random. Um, like oh we get an uh an email or a letter from someone at uh like you know some major label who had seen a review in cmj or uh there was a guy from arista who used to come out and see us but it never really progressed beyond those sort of like s- sniffing arounds of things um but john helped us get shows he he's <laughs> he saw us at a cmj showcase that's how we met um, I think he had come to see another band. I, I feel like this. I feel like this, like sad comedian who's just making these, like at least these like just drab references to our like failed success. Um, but John, I think, had come to see another band who who he he either missed or had canceled, and he saw us instead. I was like, oh, you guys are pretty cool. Uh, do you want do you want help? Like, you know, just being a band. Um, and so he helped. He would get us really cool shows. I mean, and we got to play some really. Like we got to play with Bark Market at Seabees, and we got to wow. play with Bad Religion at Coney Island High. Like it was, he he definitely put us in the right places. His brother helped us uh, record demos for, uh, uh, you know, for for the the pre production for five days, eighty hours. Um, so yeah, he was he was great. And then when I did move to New York to, uh, in two thousand five, he helped. Um, he and a couple of other folks at. Cornerstone sort of put the word out, or we're, we're just sort of listening out for opportunities, and um, and I got my, I, I got the interview at RCA, uh, from from one of those folks. So yeah, oh, it's that's uh, Cornerstone. Awesome. I, I have a very very uh, fond memories um, and a soft spot for
0: for their Cornerstone crew. Awesome. So with Denali, and I think to me when I heard about this, I was like, oh shit, super group. because we got we got Keeley. Um, you know, engine down, we got fuller from sleepy time. I was like, "Hello, let's go." <laughs> How did you guys get together? Um, so we had met um
1: Webb is from uh, the bass player from Lazy Kane is from Lynchburg, which is where uh, the uh, where Keely, Mara, and Jonathan grew up in 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 sort of southwestern, south central western Virginia. Um I think it's definitely western. Um and so uh, Mara had come to town at some point and he was driving her around or showing her the city or she was driving him around. I forget the order. Um, and I met her then and then uh, just for a minute and then made a connection. Sorry, I'm giving too much, way too much backstory. Um, I... <laughs> I met her. I, I ran into her after Lazy Kane had broken up, and after I was playing with uh, this other band, River City High, for a minute. Um, I and love that she band, was, by the way. Oh, right on! It was super fun. It, it was it it was totally polar opposite of Lazy Kane. And what was you know, the lead singer's had, name again? James.
0: James. James Menefee. that yep. record cover of the full length or whatever that one that was mostly out that was a fucking great cover great songs <laughs> like I just think like a few years before they should have come out
1: right 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 yeah yeah no it's it's crazy they um they were you know his his previous band had a had a pretty good following in in Richmond and so and Mark was in Inquisition with Thomas um and so there was uh like they had a pretty good they they had a a great following right out of the gate so it was it was fun to actually just step into a band um that was already active and have people at your shows and like you know and i think my first show with them was with let me look it up uh it was um it was with saves the day and newfound glory and uh in in new jersey like so it was just absolutely fucking bonkers like 700 800 kids like wow i was like oh my god this is incredible um at like an elk's lodge and uh and and it was like oh god this is this is what i've been working through this is what I've been trying to like achieve for so long um and it was really fun but it wasn't as as fun as it was to play with them it wasn't artistically what i wanted to be doing and um you know just in the way that you run into people in a a small town i ran into Tamara one day and she was talking about how she had she had a bunch of songs um and she was putting together a thing with um uh with her brother keely and with jonathan and um And I just sort of like invited myself in a way because it just sounded like I was like, oh, this sounds really cool. Uh, I was like, do you need another guitar player by chance? And she was like, yes, because I don't want to be the only guitar player. And and so I um, she, you know, I I went to a practice and it was just really cool. Um, I only knew Jonathan and Keeley sort of uh, like not distantly, but not super well at that point. Um, Our bands didn't cross paths hadn't crossed paths i don't know that lazy Kane ever played with sleepy time um but they had there was there was a very specific sort of not not specific scene but they were they were definitely more of the punk scene um and uh like 400 years and and all those bands and uh like men's recovery project and whereas we were in the sort of you know like melodic post-hardcore scene and the the sort of like emo scene um and not that people don't consider those bands to be that way but um uh, so yeah, we we just sort of got to work fleshing out these songs of Mara's, and, and you could just tell from the four tracks that she made, like there was just something really amazing and magical to to her music, and um, and it was it, it it aligned so much, you know, sort of selfishly with like what I had always wanted to do. I I guess I sort of mentioned it briefly in the past, but I grew up like I my first like aha moment with music was listening to super early care stuff. And I listened to a lot of that, like the UK, like, like uh, like Smith's and stone roses and, and, and Depeche mode and new order and all that kind of thing. Um, and there was, there was a way to sort of incorporate all of that in, in a way like to, with what Mara was doing. And, um, and when the four of us got in a room together, it was just really cool. It was really easy. Um, there was no, there was no struggle to come up with great ideas. It was always sort of like choosing the best of three ideas. And, um, I don't know that it, it, for me, at least it, it felt like it was like, I was like, Oh my God, this is the band I've always wanted to do. Wow. Um, And, and so, uh, I, I, I left river city high. Um, and Mark James was a little bummed because he was, um, rightfully so, because he, you know, he, he very much so had, had, Sort of had been building the momentum of the band, um, and uh, um, but he, he he understood, and they the, the Bob, the guy who replaced me, uh, was a much better guitar player than I was anyway, and so I think they were they were onto much better things. Um, so, uh, but yeah, and so we just sort of started playing. I remember we just sort of spent the summer in Jonathan's apartment um, working out songs. Um, thank you, Jen, for letting us practice at <laughs> Jen is Jonathan's wife. Um, <laughs> um, and it was really sort of hushed and, uh, you know, just Mara was singing through the same amp that one of us was playing through. It was very sort of organic. Um, and I remember sort of playing some of those practice tapes for our friends and they, they had like kind of the same reaction. They're like, Oh man, there's, there's really something cool going on here. Um, and so we just kept working up the songs and um we 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 i forget what happened uh i think jason uh, engine down had some shows in uh later that year that they were supposed to play in in dc in chapel hill and jason i think got jason from engine down got appendicitis um like at the last minute and uh they had to cancel and so it was just like two days beforehand i was like oh hey do you guys want to come and play these shows that engine down was going to play um and so all of a sudden it was like all right we're a real band now um you know quote unquote um and our first show was in uh baltimore uh with the rapture and uh it was just really cool like I, i don't know there was nothing stressful about it and and then we Played with other cool bands too. I I feel like these interviews are always just sort of really. They feel like name drop sessions, but it's like this is this is how this is how it happened. Um, But I I just say that because we're like immediately like dropped in the deep end of like holy shit. Here's a band that you sort of have to hang with. Not that not that it's a competition, but like you know like I hope you've got your shit together because these you know there's going to be kids there. Um, And uh, and then yeah, it sort of built from there, and and people in Richmond like who started paying attention and then again it's sort of you know you play with people who tell other people and uh, people who tell other people and um and we uh we played philly i forget how we got hooked up with jade tree and i'm sort of getting a- ahead of myself but um but yeah it, it was it was, very, it was a very sort of organic thing um
0: i love that Please do not apologize for name-dropping. Please do not apologize for moving ahead. I've already messed up timing, because I had thought um, two other things that were incorrect, and uh, so I fucked up. So don't worry. It is a <laughs> it's fu- all good. we are We are all good. I thought the funny thing about this timing is you were in... Lazy Kane in these late nineties and sort of before the emo boom, this kind of new thing was happening. Being at a label then and watching A&R guys go, Oh wait, so no one wants limp biscuit bands anymore. (laughs) I'm serious. You know, and you know, they were starting to ask me what I was listening to. And I was like, this Mm -hmm. is fucked up. I'm 21. And you don't, you don't know what's happening. Like, wow, Mm -hmm. I guess I don't understand the music biz. And so I think, the timing was so cool. And I think looking back at some of your tour dates and bands and sort of things happening. Um, I just, did you feel like there was this other thing happening and you, and you can say no, like you've done earlier. Like, I just felt like you kind of dropped in at a really good time. Um,
1: yeah, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, the definitely like we, we started out right alongside the whole New York thing. So right. Yeah, like you said, yeah, yeah. Interpol strokes um, uh, uh, fucking TV on the radio and like all those bands, um, MGMT, not that we were connected. Yeah. Not that, not that we were connected to that scene, but it just felt like a good time for the East coast, um, in general. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you know, if we could sort of like coattail that, but, um, so yeah, it was, it was cool. I mean, I, we, we played with a lot of the bands that were in and around that and we did shows with french kicks and we did uh shows with the stills and um you know it was just a really it was i don't know there was a there was so much cool stuff like granddaddy was just starting to get going and Mm -hmm. like there were so many good records coming out and i think i don't know maybe maybe tim and um and uh Darren sort of saw that and or or they just got tired of hardcore I mean, I think you know by the time we had gotten by the time we got to j tree they had already put out u they'd put out Touring Machine, mm-hmm. they'd put out, you know, Jets to Brazil, they had put out... Like, they were definitely moving away from just... I mean, Kid Dynamite was still very much a thing, and, you know, they they definitely still had... And Strike Anywhere, obviously, um, who, who I basically... Cre- like, I would credit with getting us signed, um, because uh, they, they sort of like Tim was aware of us but I think uh Matt Smith and the folks from Strike Anywhere really kind of put it in their ear like hey there's a band you should check out um but uh it was just it was just a really I don't it was a it was a really it was like what grunge I guess felt like in the early 90s like the the New York and Montreal thing that was happening in the early 2000s was just like, was was amazing. And it was just great to be kind of on the road at the same time as those bands. And we did play with a lot of them, too. But it was just, you know, I, I don't know. Been, I cannot not mention Sparkle Horse. Um, yes, but great it, reference. It, like, um, but, uh, well, we worked with Mark on the first record, and, and you know, and it was just like and he was doing like mark is obviously like we, i i i only got to know him for a very short time and i i miss that that friendship um but before he passed on um but you know there were just so many good records coming out and And I think yeah, I think Jay Tree must have just felt like I I really don't want to speak for Tim or Darren, but I think you should definitely have them on if they will if they will consent. If you haven't already had them on, Um, but it'd be interesting to see what they what like what writing they thought was on the wall. I mean, one line drawing, owls, like all that stuff was just was very different for them. And and yeah, it was great to it was great to a just be on a, a label that was fair like you know gr- growing up idolizing merge and discord like like quote unquote the right way to put out records and the white the right relationships to have with your bands um that that felt magical um but also just to you know that that the pe- that the jade trees fans didn't immediately just sort of turn their backs or you know i think they knew that there was uh, there were sort of a change of things going on and 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 yeah i think people gave us the benefit of the doubt and i'm I'm very thankful for that
0: what about some of the like that self-titled record and you know those songs and press and all those things like you said earlier like you know you playing river city high in jersey and all those kids showing up in the line or those last tours with jimmy and having people line up like now you kind of had other people um you know, playing these shows and it was a different, different people, different, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe some overlap. I was, I was in there and others obviously, but there was like, it was almost like you'd, you'd opened up a different door. Um, Do you remember, you know, um, any, any memories from like those first records and doing that stuff and being like, Oh shit, like people are covering this. People are paying attention.
1: Yeah. I, I mean, it was definitely, it was definitely a shift from lazy cane where, you know, we would, we might get like a, a listing, Um, whereas with Denali, we would get write-ups or there would be a picture. And, and that was definitely, that was sort of an indication to me that, that it meant something more to the people who were hearing it. Um, I think that in terms of, uh, you know, the kids who were giving us the first, their first uh, dollars. Um, it, it, I think a lot of those were uh, like Engine Down was well established at that point. They had done like tons of touring and they were they were well known within that scene. So I think a lot of our first fans were Engine Down fans, um, and thankfully they, they 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 stuck around. I think there were there were there were a lot of um, I don't know. I, I I'm sort of losing the plot here. <laughs> it it was just it. It definitely did feel like, yeah, it, it 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 garnered more immediate attention, and and yeah, and I I remember getting written up in in bigger papers and like like finally being able to send them to my parents <laughs> and saying right. like look, we, you know but yeah.
0: Did it feel like a full time thing?
1: Uh, it felt like it could be a full time thing. It felt like we were working towards that, um, and we were you know we eventually got to the point where we were mostly able to cover our expenses um uh but yeah it, it it felt like you know we it, it yes it it did feel like it could get there but we we had signed for a few records with Tree, so we weren't we weren't going anywhere at the moment and not that they weren't treating us well but um it, it i think we had the no- we knew that it was going to be sort of a like it was going to be a a a, a journey <laughs> But make no mistake, like our first some of our first shows were to nobody. Um, There was a there was a show in Pennsylvania where we uh, where we where we played a show in Pennsylvania. And then some kid in Ohio was like, hey, you should come play in my house. And he hadn't like it turned out that it was his parents house and he hadn't flyered the show. And he also didn't have a key to his parents house. And so it was just this weird like. Uh, like he had to break into it at his house, and we we ended up driving a long way not to play, and then just turning around and coming back. But so there were there were a couple sort of missteps at the beginning, but um, but yeah, it felt like it had momentum.
0: Any other songs that, or sorry, not any other. Any songs stick out for you that you when you were listening back or thinking about Denali that um, that you were fond of. Um, I. I like them all.
1: (laughs) It sounds weird to say Um, from the first record. I think you know Gunner was always like. uh, I think Gunner was one of the first songs that we wrote, Um, and that you know, and so I think there's always a soft spot for that uh, track, Um, and it was definitely like a a fan favorite. Um, It was kind of like our one of our encore songs. Um, I I really liked um, Normal Days, like just this sort of weird, like. I it felt like uh like it was kind of angular I think maybe that's that's one reason I I, I gravitated towards that but I, they were all they all had really cool elements to them that I I felt like oh yeah this was I'm really like glad we chose this or we 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 chose that um but yeah, I know that sounds like such a cop out. <laughs> Be like, they're all my favorite children. Um, we we have such a small catalog. It's easy to go like, yeah. We, we when it was written in such a condensed, period of time, it, it's not like I can say like, well, our early period, like you know. Um, <laughs>
0: I you know, know what I a, forgot about too was the DVD that Love It put right,
1: out. Right, 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 right. Yeah. So we had a friend who was um, who was a uh, who did production work, um, film production work and he would come and film our shows and um and he, uh, we had we just had all this footage laying around after the last um after that first record or after that after we broke up and um from you know various various shows and so uh he put it together and brian uh, brian was always super supportive of the band brian lowett and um and so th- he was gracious enough to to put it out for us um And, uh, yeah, I think it's got some home movies on it too, which were, which were cool. Um, just like things that we put together on tour, but, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I always forget about the DVD too.
0: (laughs) And it's, it's not available anywhere. I think someone ripped it and threw it on um, YouTube, but I, I think it might be just clips of it, but has there been any talk of just like having it out there officially somewhere? I don't think so.
1: We sort of, uh, you know, the band, doesn't like we are all still familiar. Obviously, Keely and Mara are, are super familiar, um, and Jonathan and I work in the same sort of uh, career space. Um, but other than um, you know, just the occasional like, oh hey, the first record turned twenty today. Like you know that that's that's about it. Um, we I we we all had a great time doing the reunion shows, but um, I, there isn't really any further. We we sort of leave it in Mara's hands, and she's. You know again, I don't want to speak for her, um but she is she's been busy with life, and so um uh, if she ever decided or if any of the other folks decided that um that they wanted to do something with it we we could talk about it. I don't know that it's the best representation of of us live, but it's cool it's it's definitely cool as an archival piece for sure
0: now you're the band's done. you're like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna head up to New York, right?
1: I was dating a woman at the time who was. Uh, who was trying to decide on grad school Um, and her one option was the Art Institute of San Francisco and the other option was Parsons and she decided on Parsons and I was like hey that's cool I'm not I I, at the time I was managing a recording studio and uh, it was cool but it wasn't something that I saw being a like long-term career it didn't seem at the moment at least to be a long-term career choice or career path so um, that's so yeah we decided to move to New York and that's that's when i got the job at rca major labels um no i i don't mean to i i am i'm super thankful for the the opportunity to start out there because the the other people i always i, I have very fine memories of rca um the the gm was fantastic and the people it was a very small staff um I don't know if have you worked at other well you've worked at labels so um you know everybody there was as opposed to oh, sorry I'm going to back up <laughs> it was a very lean uh staff and everybody kind of owned their lane and just totally crushed it and there were other I was an admin assistant to the digital marketing department and there were other admin assistants in other departments with like degrees from Harvard. And it was just it was a very high bar from the start to just be like everybody like they, they, it's a skeleton crew and we're just going to rock all these records. Um, but you've got to you've got to pull your weight. Um, so it was kind of like going to grad school for how to be an adult like immediately. Um, so it was it was really cool. And yeah, and, and, and I have I have the Cornerstone Peeps, the Cornerstone Network to thank um, for that job. But it was, a, it was also, I mean, working at labels aside, it was a cool label to be at at that time because we had Strokes, Kings of Leon, Black Robo Motorcycle Club, Foo Fighters, um, and, and believe it or not, all of the American Idol winners who were also very fun to work with. Um, but yeah, it was, a, it was a cool start to New York life, for sure.
0: And what other stuff were you doing when you were, at, was it full-time job stuff? Were you playing music still?
1: yeah i i sort of so when denali broke up i realized not turn this into therapy but i i sort of realized that i had this like debilitating anxiety issues with being on stage um as much as i loved the the idea of touring um i was pretty miserable um and uh and it just was, so I, I sort of wanted to step away from being in bands. Um, I did play with a few folks and and started a couple projects with people, thinking like, oh, it'll be it'll be cool if it's different. Um, and played in a couple of other friends' bands, just occasionally, sort of hopping on stage with people or or, or just into like small project scenarios. But um, I was still writing things on the side uh, in my room, and uh, but I ne- but never anything that I was like and I think I had like a little MySpace page for it and I would post things there. Um, But it it was, you know, I don't think anybody beyond my friends uh, and maybe a few random Denali fans were listening. Um, But that turned into the composition, into the commercial composition thing. So I, I sort of took those skills and morphed them into another sort of, a whole whole different world um,
0: of creativity um, which was cool so then from that was it, the, where was the was the composing and sort of the you know what you sort of led into with Music Supervision was that bubbling up at this time or was that later
1: yeah it was it, it was sort of so um, friends who were uh, like people that that we had toured with um, one of them was married to a freelance producer uh, who, uh, a commercial producer. And um, she was talking about, and we were all noticing too, just, just casually um, that, that indie bands were starting to get licensed more and more for commercials. This is when like the Walkman got licensed. And um, a few years before that Pink Moon had ended up on that famous vault, you know, Volkswagen commercial. Um, and she was talking about the fact that a lot of these clients were looking for, music that were by actual bands and not just stock houses um no shade to the to the composers who write for those houses but um and we were we were all sort of tight-knit enough to um to kind of i I, I, there it was started by a few folks uh, it was a music house called black iris and um and they were occasionally bringing in friends of theirs, uh, that they knew myself included to write on specific commercials. It's like, Hey, this, you know, we're writing this thing and it needs to have this cool. It needs to be like cool and indie and whatever. I was like, yeah, sure. I'll, I'll, I can write you something. Um, and that was happening while I was working at RCA and then Atlantic. Um, and eventually it got to the point where, um, there was a real opportunity for me to join them and the money was better. And the, just being with friends again was better. I wasn't, like marketing wasn't really my thing. Um, And, uh, and so it, I, it was sort of, it was really hard to sort of pass up. Jonathan from Denali was also working at the same place. Um, And Cornbread, AKA Matthew from engine down was working there as well. So it was just like, it was like, Oh, this is great. I can like be in a band But not have to go anywhere, not ever have to set foot on stage and actually make money from it and not like stress out my relationships or, you know, like that, that kind of like all the things that kind of come with being a touring musician. Um, and it just felt like this perfect world. I was like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Um, so, yeah, yeah. I, and they they eventually I demoed on a couple things and I won a few things. And so they invited me to join the staff full time. And I moved I, I was I moved back to Richmond to sort of learn the ropes of the, the industry and the company and then. Uh, I was going to go back to New York at some point because they had an office up there.
0: The best part about these and you've heard as the way that where you are now. And that's why I think this arc of like, you're not on stage, you're still creating music and you're successful at it in, in a way that I think can pull from all of your designs or all of your influences that can play for another uh, genre or another sound. Right. And it's not in a context of a band.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly. And I think it's it is what a lot of artists want to transition to. The art, artists who are not already, you know, obviously very successful. But there are there are. I was surprised at the number of people who are successful who who do also write for commercials on the side or who also score for trailers on the side. Like it was really eye-opening to be like, Oh my God, you guys knew about this the whole time. Like, why, why didn't I do this sooner? This would have been amazing. Um, but it's, it's tricky. And you know, if you're doing a band and doing that, like you really don't have a home life or, or it's, I, I, it's, it's very challenging, at least in, from my experience to, to have a, a competent home life. And once like girlfriends started turning into wives and how, you know, apartments started turning into houses and kids come along. It's like, you really like that. Like, what is the next step that I can either like, if, if we're in a position where we can bring them along with us, then that's great. But if we're not that big, then what's where's that position where you can
0: still do something music related and and pay the bills? Um, There's so many people that do this. I mean, it's nuts. Like I hear from bands I haven't spoken to in a while, and a lot of times, like, oh yeah, I write for commercials, or yeah, I, I, I write yeah. this, and like you said, that transition, and I think it's I think scary for a lot of people, like starting over. Hmm.
1: Yeah, it is, and it also like it is a. It's an identity eraser to a certain degree because they're not hiring you because you're in band X or y or Z. like they're hiring you because you're competent, like because you can write to the creative brief. Right. And so and there's, and I've had lots of friends who have wanted to do it, not lots of friends. I, I don't want to say that um, because most of the people that I know who do it are are wildly successful at it and and actually way more successful at it than I ever was. But um, you know, occasionally you would run into an artist who just could not, put their their own vibe aside and that's fine that's you know that's because they were very you know they were they were the art that they were created creating and and that's like you know it was it was funny i was listening to the hoover podcast the hoover interview that you did like and they were they were there was you know there there are those artists out there that cannot be anything other than themselves and right. hoover is definitely one of them fugazi is definitely one of them in my opinion jeff tweedy is one of those people like you know you just going to see them they're not even playing like they're they're just channeling and and you're just like oh my god like this is uh, it, I, it was funny because he I was listening to him talk about like you know if you didn't see us live you didn't really you don't really get to experience the whole thing um and and I, I I'm thankful that I did get to see them live uh it's they it's like one of my top 10 shows um but but yeah it's uh to do commercial music you you do need to sort of put that aside because there are you, you can definitely use all of those skills and all of those instincts, but it's, it is, it is a sort of, it is a skill in itself. But, what else, the other
0: piece is, the hardcore, the DIY, the sort of like you talked even mm-hmm. about RCA, which I agree with you, the major labels I worked at, a lot of people think it all, you know, it's all easy. It's not. You still have to <laughs> rally more people and your your team. And there's so much mm-hmm. that, I mean, it is a miracle that a record gets big. Like so many things have to go right. Right. Oh, yeah. But with that, putting, like you said, putting all those things aside you've got the band, they're like, we don't care. Okay, you're competent. But then when you're in that situation, I've talked to other people that these things start to like click. They're like, oh wow, I learned that when I was like 16. Or Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. happened, or I learned this. And I think there's a, I don't fault anyone that hasn't done a, gone to a basement show or put something on or put a zine together or put a tour together with a dialer Mm -hmm. in in the basement (laughs) of VCU. But those things matter later on when you're sort of put up against that decision and you've had that experience on your own. It wasn't in a book. It wasn't something you read or heard from someone. You did it. And I think that helps in that professional field that I think why there's so many hardcore people. Like there's like, because I feel like they kind of had those tests early on.
1: Yeah, there's. It does breed a a a, a type of like stick-to-itiveness, I guess that, um, you know, or just a a, a problem. There's a, like a problem solving muscle that be, that gets built in those early days. Um, or you know, or or maybe like an open mindedness because you know just never know what's around the next corner. And um, and I, I think especially in my current position, um, i I've, I've learned that you just like as a supervisor like you just never know what's going to work and so you just don't say no to anything until you've tried it out um and so i, I think that yeah i mean in there yeah a lot of that is probably born from from like being in a band that was trying so hard to be successful and being like yeah this like you know, there's an opening f- to to play with Iceburn on like at a matinee show on Long Island. You know, and you're like, I don't, th- I don't think any of their fans are gonna like us at all. But why not? Like, 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 let's just go see. And you and you meet like one kid who's like, I love your band. And then and now you have one more like lifelong fan. Um, but yeah, I I think it's it's. Um that scrappiness uh is, is is sort of good i the the music house that i worked for we were not hyper connected and we like our our way into the industry was sort of through the side door like we just sort of tried to do things a little bit differently and 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 for a time we we sort of capitalized on like the fact that it was ad music but it was ri- being written by dudes and bands who were also who were all like in the same room together and you know had a had a uh, record label, and you know we're putting out cool bands on the record label too, and and so yeah, I think there's there's definitely a lot of that DIYism that that kind of sticks with you over the years for sure. I love that, um, but yeah, it's 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 cool. <laughs> it is weird though. I I like you said, it's really surprising how many how many people you run into. I think we did a song uh, at one point where the the girl from M83 sang on it and we've done other stuff. Uh, I, I've talked to Jimmy from, uh, album leaf. He, he does oh, stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's really like, I mean, those are just, those are one of, you know, millions. I mean, even Johanna Hansen used to do ad work. Um, and there are other people who are big now who I don't want to like blow up their scene who are like, like top tier, like composers for, for movies and, and like just super, super well-known who will also sort of share their library of orphans on the off chance that it works for whatever project it is that you're working on. So I, I think everybody now, especially that it's so easy to do that on the side with the the, the advent of home studios, like it is, it's really surprising how many people dabble in it uh, and you're like oh my god that person too it's crazy it's awesome <laughs>
0: but also um, the 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 scene itself you know emo or even hardcore wasn't as respected right yeah indie rock was and you right know, right you know yeah. even punk to an extent um but it mm-hmm. seemed like it was always sort of seen and so to know that like yeah jimmy uh pedro um, from jealous sound, um, I know Josh from shift like there's there 's countless that they 're doing mm-hmm. these things, and it 's like all these guys came from that those these same worlds from different pieces, some of them may mm-hmm. maybe more metal, more indie, but it 's like they can write hooks, they can work with a person right. and get the job done, and I feel like that 's right. not talked about like i don 't know it's like, <laughs> it's like if what if what if that was what if that review wasn 't shit on? because it just had a word attached to it and you listen to it deeper. And I think maybe there's a better coda for this time period than Mm -hmm. people realized. Like all these people are still, I, I will meet them or they'll, they'll find out about the podcast and they'll just be like, Oh, that's so cool. And then look what I'm doing. Like you, you're doing these fucking amazing things. And I know that that happens for everybody, but there's like a, a point for this genre where it's like it, it or even era that it was just like cast aside and i think the perseverance and still doing it and making music and it's sort of i don't know came back in that regard yeah
1: Yeah, I I think to a certain degree, a lot of that was probably self-inflicted. I think some of us just didn't. (laughs) I mean, we just we wanted so badly not to be associated with anything on a major label or like anything mainstream that we would just avoid all those things. But you realize that like you're talking about like you still have those chops you wouldn't you wouldn't be you wouldn't be caught dead playing in a band that played those things but you still know how to do them and in the back of your mind because you probably learned like that's probably how you learn to play the instrument you know is by playing those songs and like whatever cheesy cover or or even you know like the beatles like people people that i used to teach guitar for a minute in in college and the, the best students I had were always the students who were learning songs not the ones who were learning from a book, like because there's a familiarity there and they, you know, they know how it goes or they can show off for their friends. Um, but, um, they, they still are, you know, oftentimes those early, like I, I grew up like very, very, very like beginning guitar days. Like I said, it was like sort of metal and, and like UK progressive music. Um, but there were also, I got, I was really into Jimi Hendrix, and I got into, like, Stevie Ray Vaughan for a little bit, and it's like, I wouldn't be caught dead playing in a blues band, but if I get hired to play that stuff as a composer, I can play it because I had to play it back then. And no, you know, I never would have mentioned that stuff when I was in and like in the indie scene. Like you just wouldn't you don't want to poison the well like in <laughs> by, by being like, yeah, I, I kind of like that stuff. I was like, you know, and there were there were definitely people who were like, yeah, fuck everybody. I'm 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 super into this or, or that. But um, but yeah, it was definitely like you just I think the world of of indie and emo sort of kept to itself. And there was. There was pride in that for sure, um, but I think we we probably shot ourselves in the foot a little bit, <laughs> you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I the, the the whole third wave of email. I don't I don't I don't know really anything about. Like I stopped sort of That's listening fine. to. So I I don't know what it was what it was like for them. Um.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Do not worry about that. I am bummed that we didn't mention Stevie Ray Vaughan at the beginning. <laughs> um, because I fucking, I mean, my first South by, I literally, the first thing I did was walk to the statue. I, whoa, crazy. <laughs> I adore SRV. I wa- I actually, if you looked at my YouTube, um, watch history, it's got all these live videos and stuff. I used to watch their Austin city limits. His, he did it a few times. Um, oh man! so I'm, I'm a huge fan of his, but you're right. Like later on in bands, right? That you'd meet someone and yeah. they're like, do you guys want to do like you know um you know boogie or whatever i'm like oh yeah yeah sure and they're like tom you just played like a saves the day song like how do you i'm like i don't (laughs) know for like two years i was obsessed i like that yeah
1: yeah yeah it was yeah it, it was i mean i don't know there's something to that like to especially like if you're into the more um you know ability based side of of music, you know, like whether that like skill or theory or just impressive um performance showmanship. I don't want to use the showmanship angle, but like I went to see Joe Satriani when I was a kid. That was one of the first shows I saw, um and you know, just because it was like, wow, that guy's doing crazy shit on the on the guitar. like I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to be into that, and right. And, but it's it's good because you do sort of carry it with you in the back of your mind, even though you sort of push all that aside when you're like, No, 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 no. Like I wanna play like I wanna I wanna sound like this band or this band or this band. Um but yeah, it's it's I don't know, I mean that that stuff is really impressive and to, if it's done tastefully like that kind of skill is just ridiculous and and stevie Ray Vaughn was definitely one of those people where you're like yeah that guy's a natural talent love love or hate whatever whatever he's doing right like dude yeah.
0: i think he actually cared like sometimes with satch or vi or Ingve, mm-hmm. like it was just fucking noodle to noodle
1: yeah him, yeah, yeah, i sure. was
0: like he fucking means every single note
1: yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Well, and it's it's crazy, too. I, I was talking to... So one of my coworkers from RCA is now a tour manager, and he does The Strokes uh, family of bands, and he also does Bruce Hornsby. Um, and the guitarist playing with Bruce Hornsby right now is this guy named Gib Droll, uh, who's from Virginia Beach. Um, he also plays with Brandy Carlisle. And he was, like, it, in, like, as I was saying at the top of the podcast, just to bring this full circle... circle uh, um, In order to get gigs in Virginia Beach, he had to play covers, and so he would play Jimi Hendrix and Stevie Ray Vaughan covers, and he was fucking ridiculously good. And I I just I would just sit there watching him, and even even him playing, and this doesn't this doesn't usually happen. Like you know, everybody talks about like if you're going to do a cover, you got to own the song, like make it yours, kind of thing. Like he really was amazingly adept at taking source material and interpreting in a way that that made it feel like his and maybe that just speaks to the 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 songwriting like stevie Ray Vaughan's songwriting or 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 obviously Jimi hendrix's songwriting that it's that good where like almost anybody can play it and you're still moved by it but um but yeah it it really does like it makes a huge difference when somebody just channels again like and and he was he was one of those guys and you were like like, this is, it, it didn't feel, like you said, it didn't feel like Satriani or Ingve. like, it didn't feel like they were showing off just to show it. There was something transformative about all those notes and in that sequence or in that style that was just, like, incredible to watch. I love that. Um, yeah, random random Gib Droll aside. Hi, Gib, if you're listening. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> Anything yeah, it's else? funny. I, he doesn't know me. We don't. We don't know each other super well. But I interview. I interviewed him for a, a class project my senior year of high school. So <laughs> maybe oh, there's a maybe awesome. there's a vague memory just drifting about in the back of his head. Um, but yeah. Anyway. As long as you put something out in the world, something happens. Yeah, no. it's true. It's true. It's true.
0: Anything else you want to mention?
1: I think you. I think you covered way more than I ever would have thought to mention. So yeah, I, <laughs> apologies for not filling in the in the gaps a little bit better. You were um,
0: fine. You were perfect. You were not bad right at all. You right knew. On. You had all your stuff. Um, it was fun to, you know, go down that memory lane. Um, right on. And I think yeah, if there's any other sort of like parting words or anything that you sort of, um, I'm just very. I feel very
1: lucky, and I'm very. Uh, I feel very lucky to be able to still do music after all these years. And, um, I'm, I'm very thankful to everyone that I, that I played with for, you know, putting up with me, um, in the, in the worst of, you know, the, the, the not so great times, um, when those happen. And I don't know, it's just music is such a powerful thing. And, and I feel like, uh, you know, everybody's got their, there's something that moves them and uh i, I really appreciate you doing this podcast and, and just sort of giving people a chance to reflect back on it because it's it, it was a it's a period that especially again being being older that i haven't thought about in a long time and um it's such a it was such an impressionable uh period of time it's it's great it's great thank you so much for the opportunity